Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Available in three colors, its thin light design, built-in HD camera, and touchscreen turns any space into your workspace. More at surface.com slash laptop go. Welcome back to the 730 Podcast. We're back for another episode from our conversation in Black series, which was inspired by the tragic and untimely death of George Floyd, the Black Lives Matter movement, and the insurgence of discussions on systemic racism in America, which seems long overdue. The purpose and intent behind Conversation in Black is to provide an opportunity for those of us in the Black community to have unfiltered conversations that help us not only process, but also make sense of this moment in American history. It is my hope that through these conversations, we can become agents of our own healing. Before we begin, I want to preface this by saying that these recordings were done via Instagram Live, so the audio quality might not be what you're usually accustomed to hearing. Here's my conversation with my good brother, Tariq Daniels. He's an Afro-queer writer, performer, and mental health and HIV awareness activist. He's also the founder and executive director of What's in the Mirror, a social movement that provides mental health awareness and suicide prevention through art and advocacy to communities of color. What's up, man? Nothing. I'm just at the clinic, wrapping up a day at work. You work. So you're working right now? Yeah, uh, this week I'm back in the clinic. What are you What are you doing exactly? Um, I'm the clinical manager of a sexual health clinic. Oh, dope! So I'm sure a lot of people are trying to uh, get their sexual health up right now. <laughs> yeah, during, during quarantine. Um, the uh, you know, I was uh. I don't know what the the vibe is like down in Austin. Uh, the people have been protesting and stuff like that? Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, Austin is like like the liberal, the liberal city. In, in Texas, Texas, right? You know, um, yeah. And so, yeah, like on Sunday, we had like a Black Lives Matter march um, posted by the Austin Justice Coalition. And um, it was the largest march protest that I've been a part of. I mean, it was, they say 15,000 or more people were out there on, on um, Sunday. Word? And so, yeah, yeah, we're, they're, they're trying to defund the police, so they're, they're not letting off their necks, so uh, <laughs> it's a lot of Has, been, has there been a lot of issues with the Austin Police Department? Yeah, so um, Austin is rooted in, like, a racial division and, and, and racial issues. You know, we have a freeway right down um, I-35 that splits the city into the east and the west side. And it has been historically, you know, all the blacks on the east side and all the people, the white people on the west side. And um, we even have, like, legislation that's still that's still in writing about the division of, like, how much money goes to, like, the east side schools and how much money goes to the west side schools. So it, it's, it's deeply rooted in um, racial tension. So APD, um, we've, uh, we lost a brother, um, I want to say last year, Mike Ramos, to um, police brutality and was murdered. And so um, it's been an uprising about that before everything going on with, you know, George Floyd. So, you know, that combined with George uh, Floyd and everything else, um, it's been a lot of protesting, a lot of, um, you know, defunding of the APD. That's that's what we want. But you, you're not from Austin originally, right? No, I'm from Detroit. Born and raised in Detroit. Right. Yeah. That's what's up. <laughs> that's what's up. Shout out to the D. The D. Oh, the man. I love Detroit. I've only been in Detroit once, but I had such an amazing time there. Mm -hmm. I was there uh, back in uh, spring of 2018. I loved it. I love that city. I actually went to to some March Madness games with a couple of my friends. The the tournament was being held in in Detroit at the Little Caesars uh, Arena. So, So we went out. And had like a, a long weekend there. It was cool. I had a, I had a really good time. Um, like I love that city. Um, one of the things I, I wanted to check in with you about is just how have you been dealing with this whole situation um, involving George Floyd and COVID and and all of that stuff. Man, so it's been a lot, right? Um... COVID, you know, um, I run a nonprofit, a mental health nonprofit. And around this time, we had a lot of 
you know, usually we have like a lot of fundings, a fundraisers. So, you know, we had Children's Mental Health Month, um, Mental Health Aware, you know, all these things planned, right? Right. Uh, that we used to have in like in May and stuff like that. And um, we didn't have. Is that me? Or is that beeping or that? That's me. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> it's the city. I was like, I was like, am I beeping? Um, no, it's the city. It really changed a lot of the kind of work that we typically would do around this time. And so we had to move virtual. And honestly, like, trying to work virtual, do community work virtual, socialize virtual, it, it's been a lot. You know, like, it, it's been stressful trying to stay motivated in, in a virtual world, you know. Right. But also knowing the need to hold space, right? We, we have to hold space for our community during this time. So and COVID has been one thing. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. Like, so COVID, that, that's that been that thing. And then really dealing with, um, and so I'll say this, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, the COVID-19, for, for a lot of people, that's their first experience with an epidemic, right? But, you know, we have to remember that HIV <laughs> was the, one of the first epidemics that really turn this world upside down. And a lot of my work is evolved around HIV and being a black man who is HIV positive, living in a COVID world brings up a lot of um, like cultural, his historical kind of trauma, you know, trying to navigate with one, you know, um, illness or and, and surviving the stigma around that and then trying to survive a pandemic, right? So I think for a lot of us in that way is how do, how, how, how is our mental health during that? And so it's been a struggle with that. And then being a black man, I mean, I can't, you know, I can't say more than, than that with what's going on with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, you know, the countless and countless, um, you know, infractions against, you know, black people in this country. So it's been tough. It's been tough. Yeah, you allude to having this, you know, this experience of being HIV positive and the trauma around that and and the trauma of this, you know, this time in American history. Where does, uh, like, how did the two intersect for you? Could you, like, expound on that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, it's living with HIV in, 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 in America is enough, right? It is so much stigma. It, it, it's trying to stay well. It's trying to do the work of eradicating the stigma, you know, making sure that we have we hold space for people who have to not only navigate through their wellness, but also their their, their physical wellness, but also the, the mental trauma of, you know, being positive, making sure they take care of themselves, making sure they're trying to live, you know, and, and knowing they can live, you know, working here in the clinic, and while we don't do HIV care, we, you know, focus more on prevention. You know, the stigma around HIV has been going on for 30 plus years now, right? The science is there. You can live a healthy life with HIV. It is not a death threat. You can be undetectable and you can not even transmit HIV, right? We have all this science um, and all this you know, these new things that have moved HIV along, but stigma is still there. People are still dying. You know, the people that I was growing up with that, you know, I know that have had HIV are no longer here. And so that's always, and then when you're black or, you know, and I don't want to say person of color, I've been really trying to work on that. <laughs> Yo, for real, man. <laughs> you and I both. <laughs> Because person of color, but it, it like three times almost came off my tongue. You and our both. We're gonna get into all of that. <laughs> That's a whole nother topic. Yeah, and you know, just trying to find community, and then, and especially for me, right? Um, last year, you know, through a lot of therapy, I decided that I wanted to be open about my status to help with the stigma. You know that you know you don't have to look away a certain way or be a certain way that you can live a healthy life. But a lot of it is just shame. A lot of people are ashamed around, um, uh, you know, the epidemic of HIV and how it has really torn up the black community around the stigma. We, they, it has divided us. Even the black queer community, 
it's still a division around um, loving people wholly, you know, stuff like that. Right. So you, you kind of really own this last year. So yeah, yeah. It's kind of a relatively new thing for you. It is a relatively new thing. Like, I literally think I went public with my status in February of this year. But it was something that I really kind of did the work last year. Like, um, I went out looking for a therapist that I told them from, hey, these are the issues that I needed to work through, right? Like, uh, I'm tired of living in shame. I want to use my voice. Because with my organization, I was doing a lot of work in Black queer communities. And I'm running across brothers that's just like me who are positive and sisters that's just like me who are positive. And, you know, trying to do mental health from, like, this kind of, like, this cis, you know, heteronormative kind of way. And not really doing the work for people who's going through exactly the same thing I was going through. So I decided that I wanted to use my voice to be real. And, and But I was scared. I, I, I was terrified. It, it would have been a secret or not necessarily secret, but something I could have took to my grave. But I wanted to do the work. I wanted to heal for myself. And I wanted to show that, share that experience with people, as many people I could. And and you feel like being in therapy, like uh, essentially, allows you to sort of get to that point. Yeah, I had to talk through it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was living in shame. It, it was not something that I was comfortable with. While I was comfortable with, right? I was comfortable living with the shame, and I was okay with that. But I wasn't comfortable with seeing a 20-year-old die from HIV in 2019. That's not okay. You know, we have all, like I said, we have all these advances, right? We got PrEP. We got PEP. We got all this stuff. And someone's still dying, a 20-year-old black man or a 25-year-old black man still dying from HIV in 2019. What, what's, what's, what's going on? What, what, what's the real issue? And it's really the stigma and the shame. We don't see people advocating for us. We don't see enough people. We know the stats are there. We know four out of a fact, four out of three something, or maybe four out of uh, four black men have, who have sex with black men probably have HIV, right? That's not a myth. You know, those are scientific facts, especially across the South. So where's the people that look like us who's going through the same things that we're going through? And yeah, that, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. And when you don't see that, you don't know how to you don't know how to work through that shame because you don't know any you don't have any examples because everybody's just living in shame and hiding behind the stigma. So, um, you know, I had a few people that I've seen saw doing the work, and I I just wanted to join in and use my voice as a tool to help others. That's amazing, man. I got, you know, I actually, I didn't know, I know all of that about you and, and I appreciate you sharing it, but I also just, I think that that's such a um, point of inspiration, not only for, like for myself, but I imagine for so many people within your direct community. Um, and I see so many parallels between like how you sort of own your status and how I own my status of having bipolar, you know? So, no, a lot of respect, man, for real. Um, So, one of the things, like, talk about this, uh, just to shift a little bit, talk about where we're at right now with George Floyd and all this other stuff, is I was having a really hard time the other, like, the last two weeks, because I'm obviously, I'm having a hard time with this whole situation anyway. But I was having a really hard time and I like because I wasn't going to any protests, you know, there's protests left and right in New York. Mm-hmm. And I started to think about it and, and I was like starting to feel real like anxious and guilty about not going to protests. And then on Sunday, like one of my really good friends and I had a conversation on Sunday uh, morning and he's a he's a brother and um we were talking, just kind of going through the whole situation. He's going to some protests. And my whole thing was, I came to the realization in that conversation that I haven't gone to any protests because of two reasons. And and, and one is like, I'm just a thing of being in large crowds and large places. I don't really like, like that. 
But the real big reason was I realized talking to him that I have a lot of uh, trauma in regard to dealing with police. And then in this instance, dealing with really unpredictable police that I've seen through social media, especially NYPD, they've been like walling out up here. Um, like that was like a real sense of trauma. And I think I didn't realize how much like the videos on social media been like really getting to me and stuff like that. But I don't know if you had like a similar experience or similar feelings in regards to being at the protest. I know my, my, my friend also said, and I thought this was great. He said, he said, uh, white people are going to these protests and they should be going to these protests. So we don't have to. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, that's a fair and valid point. You know, if, if you're really down with the cause, you, you're out on the front lines. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think your feelings around it is valid, right? Like, again, it's, you know, protest becomes more labor for black people. You know, you know, it always falls, you know, here we got to do our own labor to, you know, let white people know about our experiences. And, you know, and the time is up. So I think being, I have an anxiety around being in large crowds and the police, like, it, it's, it's life or death. Literally, when you go to those protests and you're in front of those police or you even around white people that allegedly doing the work and protesting, you really don't know. You, you don't know because the whole point is that we know if George Floyd can be murdered in broad daylight on a major street and record it, you know, a public lynching then you have every right to be fearful to be on the front lines of any protest because like that decision is a life or death decision that you are making it is not a a light one to make and you know and i think everybody needs to know that like as black people it sometimes we can't carry all the burdens you know it's a burden just existing and now we got to be a burden to do the work right my feet hurt (laughs) <laughs> you know, I've been protesting like my feet is, is, is hurting and I'm getting mad all over again. You know what I'm saying? I get mad all over again. Here I got to have swollen feet and be hot as hell, three times darker, just to stand up <laughs> for equality, just to say that I'm worthy, you know what I'm saying? Just to fight against inequality and, and, and let them know. And so I think that's very valid. I mean, when I was out there the first day, the first protest that I went to, I got tear gas, you know, and I was sick for two days after that, you know, and so it's 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 a it's a it's a decision and it's a hard decision and unfortunately we're all the one we are always the ones that have to make that decision, and I agree the white folks should be taking up some of that labor. Yo, you know what's crazy? You mentioned something that really just. It's something I've been thinking about a lot, and this is going to, to some people listening to this, they might not, they might have a real wow moment right now. But another, in addition to police, another one of my big fears is like some white supremacists pulling up to to one of these things and and just letting letting loose, right? And so that's that's been a big big fear of mine too. And you talking about being with other white protesters. It's almost like you don't know who's the enemy. I mean, I mean, you don't. You don't know who's the enemy. And I mean, you honestly, you don't even know, even protesting side by side with your, your black brothers and sisters, you don't know which one going to throw the bottle and hit the police. You don't know. You don't know what could pop off. And, and I, I don't think it's any shame around making uh, educated or emotional decision to protect yourself, you know? And again, we do not always have to carry the burden, you know, and it's, it's enough existing, like you said, watching it on TV, you know, being traumatized over and over again, you know, knowing what's going on, watching, you know, the senators and Congress walk around with Kunta, uh, Kunta, yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, like, you know, that it's just too, it's too much. It is too much. And, like, since I've been out there, it's like the drilling and rush, right? It's like 
I can't even describe it. Like we took over the freeway um, the the other day, and I had never walked on a freeway before. Right? It was like it was like this feeling that I've never had in my life to be that free and righteous, you know, and be on the right side of right, you know, and doing you know doing it for myself, doing it for my people, and it's just like I can't describe it. It's like the best feeling ever but it's it's on the other side of fear but again we don't have to make that decision you know we don't have to go on the other side of fear of our lives that shouldn't be the option in life or death but that is and so i i commend you for um speaking up uh, you know that everybody don't have to be on the front lines as black people all white people should be yeah it's it's been it's been a really difficult thing for me because Part of my, it's, it's been really difficult mainly because part of my, part of my like natural makeup is to be a thinker, to be on, you know, to be on the front lines, to, to be with people and, and like unite with people. And like, so not participating in these protests seems somewhat antithetic to like who I am as a person. But I've also been thinking about um, a lot of so you work with a population that is 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 a very in some ways probably a very vulnerable population, and I work with a population that is also a very vulnerable population, be it like America's youth. You know, I, you know, I teach in a public school in New York City, and so I've been carrying a lot of that weight too from from a lot of my students, just in terms of trying to be a support for them and, and make sure that they're good. And, you know, then you have this whole COVID situation, which exacerbates everything else that everybody's feeling right now. Uh, and so everybody's just on edge, you know? Um, and I, I gotta say, like at the end of every day for the last two weeks, I've been exhausted, literally exhausted. Like the other day I fell asleep in my bed with my clothes on. Like I've literally been that tired where I, it's like the, the amount, the, my emotional capacity and my mental capacity is like maxed out every day. I don't know. Like you, you experiencing some of the same stuff. I, I'm, you know, I'm always, I'm just curious what people are going through right now. Cause everybody's handling and processing this very differently. I can't even begin to explain how tired I've been. Like, and until you really just kind of outline your experiences, you know, I was just saying, like, I woke up yesterday tired. Like, I literally, I went to bed, like, maybe before midnight, woke up at 8 o'clock, still tired. I, I don't know when I'm going to be able to catch up. Because I think, you, like you said, it's like you're emotionally tired, mentally tired, physically tired, spiritually tired. <laughs> your body just tired. I don't even think sleep is the answer, right? I don't. I don't think... Because I've been going to sleep, and I'm still tired every day, every every single day. And I was wondering what that was. I, I actually drank an uh, energy drink, and I hate energy drink because it usually makes it all jittery. <laughs> right. <laughs> y'all, like, boss it out the wall and stuff. <laughs> so I kind of avoid energy drinks. But I've been drinking, like, one a day. I've been not, like, overdoing it, but I've actually needed help being able to carry my day out because I've been just so tired. And so, you know, that I mean, that's a really good point to make. For me, sleep has not helped. And maybe I'm not getting the right kind of sleep. Maybe because my mind is not at, you know, peace. My spirit is not at peace. So even when I'm actually sleeping, I'm still doing all this work, right? You know, having these dreams and, you know, having these thoughts, you know, I wake up heavy. I go to sleep heavy. So where you know, where you know, they say you where you lay your burdens, you know, I think right now it's so activated, it's really hard to find that um that peace. And I'm and I'm trying. You know, I'm trying to meditate. I'm trying to call on my ancestors, you know, I'm trying to, you know, get the sage, you know, on it, popping and different things. Um, and hopefully my body will catch up that I can actually feel rested. But um I don't know with this revolution. I don't know, man. You know, <laughs> it's, my it's funny, man, because we're talking about being so exhausted right now. One, I'm so edgy that every morning I'm up. I'm really up. 
and I, you know, I'm not really a morning person, even though I teach in schools, like I hate, I don't hate the morning. I love being up in the morning, but it's hard. It's like a fight every day, but I've been up and on the move, like literally, cause I think like what you said is, is true. Is like when I'm sleeping, my, my mind is probably racing and I don't even realize it. And then on Sunday, I, you know, I had all this stuff lined up that I did. And then I, I was like, you know, I'm going to go to the park and read my book. I get to the park and I sit down on this bench. And I had every intention to sit down and read my book. But I was like, I was just like, um, I was so frozen that I couldn't, I, I literally couldn't like open my book to read. I fell asleep on the bench for like 10 minutes. And then I was like, this ain't happening today. Um, and then I got up and I just like, I went on a walk and, and that woke me up a little bit. But every day has been like a real fight, man. A really, really big fight to just, to just stay, stay in the game and stay mentally there, you know? Um, so what do you think, like, as far as, because, you know, a lot of people saying like the civil rights movement was 15 years, you know, and, you know, we're what three weeks since you know uh, his his murder, like how can we sustain? Well, so it's, it's it's so funny you say that because all I've been thinking all week is like all this protesting shit is cool, but if people don't sustain it, right, mm -hmm. then it, it's really meaningless. Mm -hmm. But but the other thing is one of the things I've been thinking is like people like. All these white folks protesting right now when when COVID is over and everybody everything seems back to normal, people need to keep that same energy. You know? Like that and, and to any of my like white friends, like when this COVID shit is over, you better be sure I'm gonna be telling people keep that same energy because that then it then it's like meaningless, then it's like insincere, like I'm gonna be looking at people. I'm going to be looking, I'm going to be looking very closely at what people do after COVID. Mm -hmm. You feel me? I feel Because if, if people, if people were just like back on a regular nine to five day job, I'm going, I don't really need to engage with these issues. I don't really need to touch these issues. Then I, I'm, y'all not with us, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so that's like one of the things I've been thinking about a lot. The other thing is, in, in, in regards to the question you said, I don't know how long this is going to last. You know, I think a lot of times it takes it takes a long time for laws to change. Like you said, if the civil rights movement was what all of fifteen. You know, civil rights is still going on. It was just that was just the height of that first wave of it. Mm -hmm. I feel like that, like like we had the first wave of feminism. Now we have in the you know, then there was a second wave of feminism. Now there's, and now people say it's like the third wave of feminism. We're just in like the second wave of civil rights in, in our country. And um, I don't know, you know, people don't realize, I mean, people have been talking about it a lot, but I, I hope people really continue to think about this. Like the laws, the, the, the laws will change more quickly when the voting when people start to vote and own their political power a little bit more. So like everybody's going to vote for the president, right? I mean, that's the thing people come out for the most to vote for, but if people not vote voting in their local elections and, you know, their local city councils and their lo you know, the local politics uh, to make sure that the politicians getting in the office have the best interest in mind, whether it's the funding police or, you know, um, you know, prison reform, whatever the case is, like, if people aren't using their political power to do that, then this is going to be a much longer fight, you know? Yeah. Politics is essentially how the laws change. Yeah. And, you know, and I think what I've been kind of leaning on and kind of, like, if I just had a message about sustainability around this, and I, I think it really stems down to us being comfortable with being uncomfortable. I think a lot of, you know, I think with COVID and, you know, uh, the death of our brother and, you know, with, you know, civil unrest, we're 
we are comfortable and this has showed us how to be uncomfortable and i feel like we have to get to a place that we're comfortable being uncomfortable things are not going to change overnight things are not going to get better overnight and if we are really in this for the long haul we have to kind of get out of the the mindset that we had that everything was okay you know just because we had a few people at the top and we have more black people making money we got more opportunities we have nowhere near what we need right you know we, we our communities are still the most impoverished have the less you know quality of care less quality of life i mean the list goes on and on and on and i think what the civil rights and all these waves of feminism and everything that you brought up is that we we we, we hit the ground and then we get comfortable and then we decide that we don't want to be comfortable anymore. Then we hit the ground. So I think what will help us is really get into a place where we're just, we can't be comfortable with these norms. Our lives will never be regular. Like we have to be proactively defending what's right. And, and, and I think and that's really the life or death situation too. You know, it's not just being at a protest. It's really not settling for, an adequate life, you know, not settling for the scraps that we have been given, you know, and, you know, and people say like, oh, this is, you know, everything is just not hitting the fan. It's nothing really was different that's going on now that was going on last year. Everything that's in place right now was going on last year. Nothing has changed. Right. Now doing work around that and we're getting uncomfortable so i and so for me i'm trying to find that balance like how do i feel being uncomfortable and working through that and i think you know you know social groups therapy i don't know talking to people like being on here you know listening to you i think i'm you know getting better with that but i think if we all work on that we, we would we would get a, little, a lot farther i think yeah i mean and and i think to to sort of second your point in terms of us being uncomfortable, I think we have to get comfortable making other people uncomfortable. Right. That, that's the part you, of it. You feel, you feel <laughs> what I'm saying? And so, like, you know, I'm, that's the kind of energy that I'm, keep, I'm keeping right now. It's like, I don't, I don't want people in my circle um, to, to feel too comfortable with, with like, the state of things right now. Um, and you just got to kind of keep pushing to, to do that. You know, also some of the stuff you may do or talking about is, you know, this whole situation with George Floyd and police brutality, like they've been, it's been very heightened within the age of social media within the last 10 years, people having cell phones and video footage and cops wearing the cameras and all that other stuff. But if you look back 30, 40, 50 years, these issues, it was the same thing. Like, like anybody that is, I feel like people are too naive. You know, they think, they think Rodney King was like the first real example. Of, no, like you could go back to the Watts riots in the sixties. You go back to Newark in the sixties, like Detroit, you know, so many of these places um, in, in cities, but it was like urban upheaval. A lot of the urban upheaval was a result of this, right? And so the other day we were talking about the protest and the, I told you I was in the park and I went on a walk and there was like a little, uh, there was a protest or a gathering happening in the park, that, like right near the park that I was at in Brooklyn. And I was like, you know, what? I'm going to, I'm going to walk to the protest and I'm going to see what's happening. Cause I was curious to see what's happening. And I was like, I was maybe there for 10 minutes. And I was literally on the verge of tears. And I was just observing. I wasn't doing anything else but looking and seeing what people were doing and, and seeing people come together and be unified. But I was almost on the verge of tears. And the thing that got me to that point was two things. One, I was thinking, this is really unbelievable. People come together, people... Um, really protesting and advocating for these things the way that they're doing. There was some amazing, um, like, uh, uh, public displays of, 
uh, of uh, like performance art that was protest that I thought was cool. You know, it was people was honking their horns, all this stuff. That was like that elicited an emotional response in itself because I was like, oh, this is amazing. And then the other element and aspect of it was I had um, the other element and aspect of it was I had um, the other I almost lost my train of thought. The other element and aspect of it was I had I had this feeling where I was like, shit, like we fighting for the same stuff that we fighting for 40, 50 years ago, mm-hmm. like 60 years ago, like. This don't make no sense, you know. I was just like, yeah, hundred years ago. Like my my ancestors, my my ancestors, and like ancestors were fighting for these things. But like, I'm just thinking, my father and my grandmother, and you know, they had to live through all of this. And I think that's the thing that's made me most emotional. Is I, you know, my my biological dad's no longer alive, but. I've been thinking about him a lot lately and like what he would be saying about all of this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's brought on a whole nother element of like, just re- like living this and like also grieving at the same time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's just been, it's been heavy, emotionally heavy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even the, like to that point that you was making around how this has been going on forever. Like this is, Nothing is new, right? This has been the fight. The fight today has always been the fight for black people in this country. I was just talking to my mom about, um, we were watching a video with another uh, Karen, you know, saying that they're going to call the police on somebody. It was like in a in a store, and she was saying, you're going to get out of this store. You ain't from here. Da, 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 da. Very funny video. She ended up getting smacked or whatever. But... <laughs> <laughs> she did. And they would just understand why she got smacked. Put her hands on the girl, told her to go back to Mexico, but just really was oh, so flabbergasted that she got, like, slapped in the middle of the store. And then I was just really, we were talking about the Karens, and we were just talking, we was, you know, then I thought about, we brought up, like, Emmett Till. We were talking about her grandfather, my mom's grandfather. We were talking about, you know, what it was for a black man to be in the South, but they couldn't even look at a white woman. When a white woman was on the same street, they had to cross the street. They couldn't even look directly in the eyes because that woman, you know, back in, you know, those days and the Jim Crow days and even slave days, they would say, oh, he looked at me. And that was his life. A white woman calling the police on the black people is not new. We, we, we got Emmett Till, the woman who admitted that she lied. And this, you know, and he was brutally murdered because he apparently whistled at her. And think of all the other countless black men that were lynched because they allegedly looked at them sexually or, you know, so it's it just weird how these things that be, that we're like now seeing in our 2020 version, or like you said, the last 10 years, the digital version of it, but it's the exact same concept. And it's no different, you know, I said like, uh, you know, white women calling the police on black men, you know, back then it cost them lives. And now we don't, you know, we, I, I think how often or how many black men that's in jail right now that was falsely accused of doing something by a 911 call by a white woman, you know, and it just, it, it kind of just, it breaks my heart just to think how easy our lives are just that disposable that someone can craft a story and, and, and that's it, right? That's the truth and how long it's been going on. Like I'm watching that video is no different than reading about the life of Emmett Till. I feel the mm-hmm. same rage. Yeah, and I mean, I'm thinking even back to like, that's Maybe. what, yeah, but even like, that's what started the Tulsa race riots and the destruction of Black Wall Street. There was a white woman that said the black man did, like, and they wanted to publicly lynch the guy. In the elevator, right? Right, exactly. And so, (laughs) yeah, man, it's, you know, it's crazy. That was nine years ago. Yeah, it was like, come on. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, wake up, people. But, you know, I was having a conversation with my best friend last night, and we was talking about one of the things we were talking about was 
like the need in some ways for us not to engage certain energy. And so like, for example, I brought up the example. If somebody called me a nigga, like if a white person called me a nigga, what does that say? And like, why, you know, growing up, I would say like my, my dad, my mom would teach me, like, if somebody call you that, you whip their ass. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I was thinking, last night I was thinking, like, well, it's not even a matter of what that accomplishment accomplishes as much as it's, well, what does that say about the person that's calling you a nigga? That's like, uh, that's a, res that's, that speaks to some larger insecurity or inadequacy that they feel that they have to project onto you and they want that response. You know, they want, they want that. They want to elicit that response. And I was just using that as an example, but I'm thinking about that because I saw a video today and I got to just fucking get off of social media and not <laughs> engage this shit. Cause so much of it is really traumatic. Mm -hmm. Like so much of it is traumatic. Every police video, every, you know, every protest where there's something that, you know, and I saw a video of some dude, some white supremacist reenacting re the George Floyd killing. And I was like, what does that say about that guy? Mm -hmm. I was like, there's something, there's something wrong with him. There's not something wrong. And I think a lot of times we've internalized what people do to us as I don't think we necessarily realize it, but somewhere in the subconscious is like, there's something wrong with us or we're like inadequate. And really, really that it just speaks to a, a certain strength that we have that I think that we have to like really think about a little bit more and hone in more. Like the thing Nipsey Hussle said really always stuck with me was he said, we have to like, as black people, we have to really start uh, rethinking how we, react to when we feel disrespected and i was like wow that's powerful and i always in those moments where i feel disrespected and my impulses want to just black on somebody i'm always i like always try to think about that like nipsey will always say this thing and so even in these times where people were saying wild crazy shit i'm trying to remind myself of that i haven't had an encounter yet so it's like a, it's a much easier exercise <laughs> from afar. What you bite, I'm do, just, what you bite, do. <laughs> right, but I'm trying to keep that energy in my head and try to keep that thinking in my head. In in the event that I'm met with some kind of some real foul shit, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's generationally uh, tactics, right? Like we know that words like nigga and colorism and you know. Uh, classes and all, all these different things to kind of separate us from white people try to you know create division amongst black people it's all tactics and, and which for me sometimes lead to social depression within our community you know the immobilization of our people not to make you know educational or um, educated responses you know they right. want us to react a certain way but and it's a double fold to that because it's not our fault if we do, right? You know what I'm saying? It's not our fault if we do because it's generational. It's, it's, it's in our blood. It's, it's, it's built, in, you know, in our everyday life, how we grow up dealing with being less than. And then so sometimes, you know, that one nigga, that, that will we'll really spark you, you know, that will land you in jail, the place that we know that you are most unsafe. There's no most there's no other place more unsafe than being a part of the penal system right as a black man or a black woman for that matter and so i i think there are strategies and it's generational strategies that have worked that have kept us socially depressed kept us from making decisions that would prevent us from being you know a ward of the state preventing us from being you know, another uneducated or uncapable person. They, they, they have to do that work. They, that's how the cycle works. For every nigga, you know what I said, is, you know, one more bruise to already 
a bruised community. You know, we, we are, we've been beaten up the whole time we've been here. So they have to do that work. But then again, they get us to a place that we don't know that we can react differently, you know? And again, I'm not saying that however you react should be an option, you know what I'm saying? Because sometimes it's warranted, but sometimes we are not, we're not taught or we're not, we don't believe that we have more than one option. Right. You no, know, we believe that we have to react this way, and that's all we have. But we have more power than that. But those things are placed to keep us socially depressed. So, but but that's also part of like this is kind of like what you're saying right now is part of what I you know I'm alluding to too is that we're conditioned in our own community mm -hmm. growing up. Somebody says this to you, mm -hmm. you whip their ass, right? Right. I'm thinking. I was must have been in third grade. Some white kid called me nigga on the playground, and I like really went in on him. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, but that was just that was just my conditioning, you know. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, I grew up in a household where like my dad would say, like he didn't say nigga a lot, but like if I did something to really piss him off, he'd be like, "Nigga, you must be crazy," and I'd be like, <laughs> "Oh man." I'm in, I'm in trouble now. That was okay. that was the cue that I was in trouble, you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a we're talking about feeling violated, especially in these times where people that are on the other side um, that are really you know pr practicing and really engaging white supremacy are doing things to provoke black people, you know. Yeah. Um, and so we got to be really careful and cautious of that during this time because I look at it no different than when they was pouring milk on black people. So, you know, mm -hmm. like back in the civil rights movement, hosing people, like getting dogs. And I'm thinking about Ruby Bridges going into school and they throwing tomatoes at her. Like you can go on and on and on, but these are all things to, you know, not only deny us or try to prevent us from, you know, ascending in society, but also to try to like demean and provoke a response. So um, it's just tough. A couple, we got, we got a little, we got a few minutes, but um, I got a, I got a um, question for you. Uh, Cause I haven't actually asked anybody this, but like, what are you doing right now to like really take care of yourself? Like what, what are some self care mechanisms that you you've had in place um, either during COVID or even during this 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 whole George Floyd situation with all the protests and stuff like that. Mm, that's a good question, and 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 you know I can be honest, right? It, it's a struggle. You know, like I stated before, it, it's been a struggle to, especially with the whole George Floyd thing. It's it's, it's been uh, I've been restless, but I I feel like um, strategizing, you know, writing sitting there thinking about what what do I want out of this? Because a lot of people are not really sit, taking that time to really answer that question. Like, what do you really want? What is right for you? We know what is right in general for our community, but what what do you want to see in the change? And I feel like writing that down, taking time with that, um, being spiritually connected. You know, I've been calling on my ancestors. I've been meditating I've been, you know, um, on my altar. I've been really trying to figure out, you know, what my great grandmother, what what would she want? What would she need? You know, is she watching over me? You know, and I think that's the kind of st sustainability that I I'm going to need to not only, make, you know, keep my spiritual and my, you know, and my emotional and my physical wellness up. I'm going to need help and guidance and i do believe in you know ancestral practices as being um a big part of that journey for me and trying to practice self-care um not trying to do it by myself has really been vital like leaning in onto my family a little bit more i talk i've been talking to my mother more now than probably the last decade you know just re um reevaluating our relationship in, in, in more profound ways because, you know, she, she's my mother and we're going through, you know, a revolution, you know, and, you know, I need her. So I think meeting people or leaning on to people, being vulnerable 
has been another thing that I've been trying to do. Um, share my emotions with the people close to me and not just emotions of rage or anger or about just George Floyd, but about me, you know, still finding myself because we can get lost in this. It's easy. It's easy to get lost in COVID. It's easy to get lost in what George Floyd and our um, political unrest right now represents. But I think we need to take the time to really figure out what it means for us on an individual basis. And I think that's self-care, you know, not letting CNN dictate how we feel. Or and Fox. That's <laughs> or Fox. I don't even, I don't even, oh, I don't even Fox. <laughs> so, I don't even know what they got going on over there. I watch a couple, like if I'm, I don't really try to watch the news. I'd rather like, I listen to the radio. I listen to NPR in the morning. Mm. Or I'll read some stuff. Mm -hmm. But if I sit down in front of, like, a TV to watch news, like, intentionally, I'm going to watch CNN. Mm -hmm. I'll make sure that I always, like, watch, like, 10 minutes of Fox just to see what, like, what the narrative is. Because I think it's really important. A lot of us are just like, that's that's wrong or that's the wrong side to be on, but mm -hmm. not really understand it. And so I always want to come from a place of understanding of, like, all right, well, what are they saying? Um, so that, you know, if I'm ever in, in a space, the whole conversation with somebody that is actually willing to listen, I can say, listen here, like, this is where y'all are wrong. You know what I mean? Um, I think that's really important. Like, we're going to talk about, like, changing the course of history. We have to really understand, even though we don't agree with the bullshit, we got to understand where it's coming from. And I think, obviously... At the impetus of it, it is like this real, deeply rooted um, ideology and, and white supremacy. Um, but they, you know, there's a whole narrative that they run to. You know, I saw last night I was watching um, a couple like seg segments of Tucker Carlson last night, and he 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 was talking about Democrats tearing up cities and like not. And I was just like. Whatever your political beliefs are, it was just, I don't know. It was like, I don't know any Republican that's really helping cities out right now, you know? Were we talking bailouts for, like, big, big corporate? <laughs> I don't, you know what I mean? I just, so um, just trying to work around that, have a come from a, a, a bigger place of understanding. And, um, sounds like yeah, man. You're educating yourself, right? I think mm -hmm. that's a big part. You have to educate like I was saying, like we are, you can't just rally behind emotions. And you have to educate. You have to really see what's going on. And then, like I said, like it sounds like to me, like listening to you, like you're trying to figure out for yourself, like you know, so you can understand what's going on and where you being able to. Because if you can't talk with the opposition, then you really kind of don't know, you know, what's going on. You you know, you have to be able to, to know both sides to know where you stand because if you only know one side you know that's no good i also think my, my whole perspective of it too comes from like being a teacher right so like i i can very well be in a classroom although it's very rare but i can very well be in a classroom with a student of mine who might share beliefs that are that more so fit or align with the other side so um i have to be ready for that you know and i have to prepare my students to be able to engage that and and have constructive discourse about about those things so i think that's where it comes from mm -hmm. um just thinking about it from like a, edu a purely educational standpoint or educator standpoint you said you've been writing down what you want out of this whole time like what is it that you want um on a local level i i, I want our chief of police to resign i want funds that you know i'm a city commissioner and so we actually just passed a draft that we, a recommendation that we sent to um city council you know we need to move some of those funds that we used to, i mean funding police takes well, i think was 80 percent of our city funds is to fund the police we have one of the wow. homeless populations you know that's going on right now so I, I want I want justice for George Floyd. 
I want justice for Breonna Taylor. I want the abolishment of police. You know, those, and those are, you know, big wants, but that's really what I want. I mean, I feel like we that needs to happen. We can't reform something that was never meant for us to be, to have a quality of life within. I just don't believe it. You can, how can you reform something that was never meant for you? Like, yeah, I mean, the, the very the very nature <laughs> of policing in America is rooted in capturing slaves. Right. That was like the purpose of police. That's <laughs> fucking twisted. That's like twisted. that that in itself should show you that that system, the way it's structured is is like inherently wrong. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I can't say emphatically that I'm like abolish police because like there's some real, real wild shit out there. But I think we really need to like really do an overhaul and really rethink and go back to the drawing board of like what we want that, that, that system to look like. There needs to be some system, but yeah, public like, safety. Right. I agree. We need public safety. So it's, it's not that like, you know, I think a lot of people kind of think that when you say, you know, uh, defunding the, the, you know, the police um, departments and abolishing police. It's not that we don't want public safety. We we know that, you know, it can be done differently. You know, we need right. something that's not rooted in capturing slaves. You know? Right. No, for sh for real. That's <laughs> like, really real. That point, that alone should be enough. <laughs> And I think a lot of people don't realize that, that like the history of police in the South was like it was rooted in capturing slaves. Mm -hmm. But then we have this whole we have this entire other element of like there is a real twisted idea of, of like policing and community work and like public safety, like you said, and law enforcement. Yeah, we we, we have to even really rethink how we how we use language, you know, because mm -hmm. I think a lot of like pe like police, especially the police like this dude and all these other people that have done really fucked up criminal shit. But they they really come from like, ah, I'm law enforcement. I'm coming to like tear some shit up. Mm -hmm. And I'm that's just obviously that shit is not working. Um, all right. We got like a minute and a half left. What is what did you said? Um, justice for George Floyd. What does justice for George Floyd look like? Um, all four cops need to be prosecuted and, and put in jail, just like any other person that would murder someone to be an accomplice to it. Mm -hmm. Plain simple. I mean, that's to me. I I don't see no other. I can see more things. You know what I'm saying? But that's the the, the basic. That's the basic. Any any last thoughts you want to share with anybody that's on this grand or? Um, you know, I'm a, you know, if you know me, Mr. Telltale, what's in the mirror, my, my, you know, I'm all rooted in love. That's, you know, so I just want to tell everybody to stay strong, stay safe, and, and really reevaluate how we love on each other. Love is what's going to help sustain us. Love is what's going to give us, you know, give us comfort in those nights, those restless nights that we're having. And, um, we gotta love on each other more and better, and 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 lean in on love. That's a wrap, man. I appreciate you, brother. I really do. I I'm so glad you. that we met, man. I'm yes. so glad that we met. You you are like a really amazing, amazing, amazing dude. Thank you for having me, and and this was amazing as always. Before we wrap, I just want to thank Tyreek for coming out and joining us on 7:30. Man, that brother really is just taking everything that he's learned and all of his experiences to build community and build people up. And I, I feel really connected to him as a result of that. Uh, I feel like I'm trying to do the same and seeing the work that he's doing and how he's inspiring people to, to seek change and do better is only empowering me and inspiring me to do the same so so thank you Tyreek if you want to learn more about what Tariq is doing you can follow him on Instagram at Mr. Telltales that's at M-I-S-T-E-R-T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-S you can also check out his novel No Bond So Strong as well as his podcast What Works For Us and last but not least Conversation in Black Event is happening this Friday July 17th 
at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time. Really hope that you brothers can come out and join us. You can find the link in the 730 podcast bio at the 730 podcast on Instagram. And I hope to see you brothers there. Always peace. Always love.